Good evening, Canes fans, and welcome into the eighth episode of the Rod the Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Betts, and as always, I'm joined with my co-host, Mike May. How are we doing tonight, Mike? Doing awesome. Excited to talk about the invigorating topics that we have. Is that why this episode's called Doldrums and Draft? Yeah, I always thought like Doldrums was like a place in the mountains, so I didn't even <laughs> not, know it. Not like an old, like sail, not even old sailing, but like the... There's no wind on the water. Thought it was a foggy mountain. Right. So it's kind of like the opposite. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. So clearly we're off to a hot start here after not recording for like 12 days, but we appreciate you guys sticking with us. Um, Interesting episode, uh, kind of another one-off outside of our off-season series. Uh, tonight we're going to talk about the draft and um, we, we've been promising you this for a while, but there was just so much going on in Kane's land that uh, we wanted to devote, you know, plenty of time to that. And so we're going to now pivot over to the draft finally. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, the big NHL news, what do you think about Jersey ads coming to the sweaters, Mike? It seemed inevitable and I feel like we can look at our guy, Tommy Dundon, as probably somebody that pushed heavily for that, being one of the first people. Yeah, you to- got to imagine the ownership meeting that there was one big driver for this. And, yeah, for you know, sure. they're all money-driven individuals. You, you don't, you know, become a billionaire on accident for the most part. But, yeah, I, I got to feel like one of the biggest voices in the room was Tom Dundon. And after this year, obviously, with uh, many teams operating in a deficit due to COVID, this was much more appealing than it probably yeah. has ever been. Yeah, for sure. What is your general thought on the patches? I mean, you, they're already in the NBA. Yep. Do you, do you hate it? Do you do you not mind it? Does it not really bother you? I, I don't think that anybody will notice it after 10 games. Yeah, I kind of felt that way about the helmets. And, and to be fair, the, the PNC logo on the helmets, which are staying, I don't know if it'll be PNC, but helmet uh, advertisements are staying moving forward. I didn't find those intrusive at all. No. Um, I, I thought... For the most part, we had one of the better uh, logos on our helmets because it just blended. Yep. No announcement yet on who will be on the Kane sweater. I kind of hope it's like that. For example, with the the Charlotte Hornets, Lending Tree actually kind of works with the color scheme. Yeah. I just don't think, you know, Kane sweater, you don't want some blue patch. And um, that's just being particular. Yeah. I'm glad it sounds like they're not going to the European model where it's going to be the Wild West. Uh, the patch is apparently going to be three by 3.5 inches. I'm okay with it. To me, it's more color. What about you? Yeah, I think, I think if they have some flexibility to match the team's color scheme, I think it'll be even better Uh, at the end of the day. Like, I don't think it's going to matter. Even if they don't, you look at Stanley cup patches, 20th anniversary patches, you name it, that go on the jerseys already on certain seasons. It, you don't really it doesn't yeah, I feel really like it's that me. first game or two, yeah. you notice them, and then yeah. after that, it's like just part of it. And, and Like I said, you just become accustomed to seeing it all the time. I'm fine with it. Do we assume that for individuals like ourselves that like to purchase the sweaters that they'll show up in the team store or not? I think the authentic jerseys will definitely have them. We'll have to see from there. I don't, I don't know if Fanatics brand or something like that's going to have them or not. Um, I would think the sponsors would probably want them on as much sur- or as many surfaces as possible. I, I would assume that would allow the team to charge more too. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I'd be curious from the the fan reaction, not only to this, but 
if you were to buy a sweater, would you want it on there? And and so maybe that's one way to, if, you know, when you guys are listening to the episode, you know, don't be afraid to reach out to the podcast on Twitter and kind of give us your thoughts, not only on the, the sweaters and if you'd buy it with, a, you know, a, an advertisement on it, but, you know, on anything. But what, what is your general consensus? Do you think fans are going to be turned off by purchasing something with a logo on it? Some will be for sure. There's always there's going to be and I don't know what the percentage would be. If I was guessing, I would think it's less than the majority um, will have an issue with it. I, I just think at the end of the day, people are going to want to buy the new jerseys. I mean, it's set to come out in 22-23, and so are you going to not buy a Stadium Series jersey, right? Like, I mean, not going to pass up on the opportunity. I yeah. mean, we've been anticipating those sweaters for a minute and once you buy one jersey with a patch on it you know, you're in like it's it's already happened yeah, you, you've taken the plunge yep uh something tells me we'll both be be doing that just because for some reason we are kind of addicted to it which is sad but hey here we are we're doing <laughs> a Canes podcast here we are um so i think tomorrow maybe uh on instagram and twitter we'll put up a poll to see if people would yeah. buy the jerseys with the sweaters and just see what the feedback is and then kind of recap it the the next episode, but getting into the big meat and potatoes issue uh, or yeah, issue of uh, doldrums and draft. It's obviously the 2021 amateur draft that occurred uh, last month. Kane's consensus as per usual. I mean, I know we were critical last episode of the organization, but universally this team always seems to draft well. Uh, that's Canadian media, American media, wherever you look, they always grade out highly. They have since Tom Dundon took over the team. This year was no different, even though, to the chagrin of many Canes fans, no first-round pick because they traded out into the second. Uh, that was just one of five trades the team made uh, and ultimately culminated in 13 draft selections, which is a franchise record. Um, Mike, read off the list of guys and then just give me, you know, you're the prospect and, and draft guy, you know, Give me your insights on these fellas. Yeah, so trading out of the first round, it sounded like the consensus from the organization was that they felt like they could get the guys they wanted in the second round. And if that's what you think, then that's a no-brainer decision. They ended up making three picks in the second round, and they got guys that they liked. So You know, so before you read off the names, just from like a scouting perspective, although there are now 32 first-round picks – there are, regardless of the sport, there are not generally 32 first round talents. Uh, in the NFL, that number is usually in the 16 ish range. So generally, it's from prospects, you know, 16 to 20 down to 40 are all kind of the same level. So if you're in the, the Canes and you have a, a back 20s pick, I guarantee that the guys you have slotted there are, are, are the same as the ones you know, that you eventually ended up drafting. Like you wouldn't do it if it took you past a tier break. And yeah. so I'm sure they felt like they got immense value because they got a guy equivalent to what they have probably already taken, yep. you know, in the late twenties. Yep. For sure. I mean, they, they probably were ready to pick him right away and said, Hey, he'll probably slide. So I would assume that they had that plan for some time, unless somebody that they totally didn't expect to drop to him at, I think it was 27, right? If someone didn't drop there, then, then they would have, you know, the the down. one name and let's do it round by round for here for a little bit. I, yeah. I think the one name that I think fans were maybe a little surprised they didn't take because the drop was so precipitous. 
uh, was Rattay. And, you know, he ended up going, what, 51 to the Isles? Um, well, no, 51 was Kane's pick. I can't remember what the pick was. It, it was after we had already made a yeah, selection. It was after our th- I think it was after our third. But it was the Islanders. I and so. clearly we weren't the only ones that passed. He, he, he dropped that far. And oh, yeah. It was just kind of rare for a guy that, you know, was the consensus number one overall pick entering the year to fall so far. You know, this is not something I would ever critique the organization on because they're not scared to take a swing on high upside skilled players uh, with flags or performance. Like they've drafted so well because they are the team that will, you know, take the risky pick and take big swings. Yeah. So they must not have deemed him as the big swing. And Hey, for whatever his performance fell off, this organization believed that was more real than just a, you know, flash in the pan slump year. So yeah. I trust him. Canes, who, who'd the Canes select first? So their first pick was round two, pick 40, and that was Scott Morrow. So the first two picks they made emphasized a weak point in the pipeline being defensemen. And it's good to see them do that because it was somewhere where we had gone from having a massive pipeline to having a very shallow pipeline in just a matter of a couple of years. So seeing them go for two consecutive defensemen, the first one being Scott Morrow, the second one being Alexi Hemoslaomi. And honestly, they're, they're two guys that are high risk, high reward kind of guys. Their ceilings are very high. There's a chance that they don't make it. They've got certain aspects of their games that they have to figure out. Scott Morrow, he's U.S. product finished up the year in the ushl playing for the fargo force he's a guy that is very high skilled he was regarded as one of the higher skilled guys in the entire draft class as a defenseman he's big he's offensive he's right-handed there's been talk that he may may have some maturing to do but that's something that when you have that skill level you you maybe take the chance on that so He's definitely yeah. got high upside, but and a lower floor. So we're with those two guys, I, I think what we're looking at here is, to your point, one, it's amazing how quickly the you know surplus of defensemen dried up. And, and yeah. some of that is guys graduating to the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's just so funny that um, what was once considered a great strength is now quickly evaporated. And yep. so when you're thinking about prospects, I, I know generally it's we're looking two or three years down the road, but for performance or trades or, or for any you know number of reasons, that number, you know, where, where you perceive as having a strength can, you know, become a weakness and then vice versa. So it's good for them to attack that. And, and by drafting uh, Morrow and the other young man in, in the second round, uh, Tom Dundon got to keep his promise that yep. they will never <laughs> draft a defenseman in the first round yeah. as long as he's the owner. So maybe that spells why they traded out and then drafted Morrow. Yeah. But otherwise, I think we're very pleased uh, with what they did with those two guys because it's all about upside. You, we, yeah. One thing, as, as critical as we've been at times, the organization totally understands that you can find depth around the league and you don't have to pay an immense price for it but use your draft assets on guys that can not only make it to the NHL, but can make an impact in the yeah, NHL. For and, sure. and I really love that because yeah. at the end of the day, when, when you get to the playoffs, it's the most highly skilled teams that generally seem to win. Yeah. And 
We got Himasami with 44th pick, and he's a, a young defenseman out of Finland. And, you know, he's a two-way defenseman. He's got great skating predicated mostly off his edge work, which is super important. Um, he fits the Hurricanes model in the sense that it's mobile. He's a mobile defenseman, and that's kind of the way the NHL is moving. He's, again, just like Scott Morrow, he's got extremely high upside and a lower floor, but those are the kind of risks you want to take because both of these guys could hit and be a top four defenseman in the NHL, and if you find those in the second round, then you're you're really happy with that. In the second round, we have one more second rounder to talk about, but the second round is a round that the Hurricanes have been excellent, yeah. you know, traditionally, and really gained a lot of value compared to, you know, other organizations you know, from the Sebastian Ajos of the world, uh, Justin Falk, and, you know, goes down from there. But who who's that last second rounder for the Canes? And the last one was the 51st pick. It was Vili Koivinen, also from Finland. And he actually plays on Sebastian Ajos' dad's team in Finland. That's Karpat. And his his game is very much the Hurricanes model, right? He's known for his high compete and his offensive skill. He's a sounds, character sounds guy. familiar. Character guy and one that Harry Ajo raved about and was like, this is this guy is big time. His size and skating are his weaknesses. Um, those are both things, A, growth and getting into a weight program can change the size part quick. And skating, it's just a matter of, Number one, can he improve there or is he limited? And if he can improve, then you're looking at a guy that could really be a top six difference maker on your team. Well, yeah, e- even here in the second round, you got to remember, as I said before, there, there's only so many first round caliber prospects. So once you get past those guys, everybody's going to have a question mark. And so a, a second round pick, I mean, basically all these guys are essentially top 50 overall selections. They're, they're going to have question marks. So, But it's one of those things where, as an organization, do you believe that you can develop the prospect past the point and, and get a value on them? And, and I think with all three of these young men, we really feel like that's the case. Um, it, it seems with the general consensus that everyone else seems to think so too. Um, so a pretty exciting time. And, and honestly, for me, uh, as I don't delve as much into the prospects or, or draft as you do, all I know is when I see a, a young man drafted from from Finland, my my you know I, my ears perk up a little yeah. bit uh, because it seems like they got a pretty good pipeline there. They, they have connections and then they've done a terrific job of of scouting and bringing in talent. Yeah, absolutely. The and they were able to get both of those signed to their ELC already. That being Hemasami and Koivinen, and both have already signed their ELCs, which is so it shows what the organization thinks of them already. Um, to get them locked in year one. So exciting times ahead for those guys. Uh, we'll move into round three really quick where the Canes made two selections, uh, the 83rd overall pick and the 94th overall pick. They kind of stayed in the same mindset of improving the depth on the back end, being defenseman and goalie. With the 83rd pick, they took Patrick Hammerla, a goalie out of the Czech Republic, um, the scouting report for this guy is his frame. I believe he's 6'3". He has a large frame, but already has NHL quickness. Excuse me. He's ultra aggressive. 
which can be a good thing and kind of reminds you of somebody like maybe Peter Mrazek also from the Czech Republic. Um, and his game just needs maturing. But he's 18 years old. He's a goalie. We all know goalies usually take a little bit longer. So we'll be interested to see how he progresses over the next couple years, see if he can take steps and if he might actually have a shot at being a goalie of the future. All right. Uh, one thing I got to say now that we're already in the third round, I'm glad you're the one reading off these names because oh, man. we were um, reading yeah. them before recording the pod and I was totally embarrassing myself. You can just I think call we, me the butcher. <laughs> I think we might have a segment at some point where it's like Jordan reads <laughs> European names and yeah. it's just, it's bad. Oh. Um, I'm so cultured. But um, any last notes before we, we talk about our, our, our fourth round pick and then the, the two fifth rounders? Yeah, we'll just really quickly talk about the 94th pick in the third round another defenseman from the u.s national team development program and that's another great name you know aiden hershuk i believe is how you pronounce it um he's a guy best known for his hockey iq can play in all scenarios biggest knock on him is the need to improve his skating and his strength and obviously those are huge factors to NHL success. You have to be able to skate and you got to be strong enough, whether it's on the boards, on the puck, whatever it may be. So it's another pick that if he develops and grows in those roles, you could look at it and be like, that was a fantastic pick. So we like it. It's almost like you could say that about all their guys and and even deep into the draft, but heading here into the fourth round, uh, another American, Jason Blake, I can say that name. Uh, Jeez, I can't say his name. <laughs> Jason Blake is his father who played in the NHL, but yeah. Oh, well, apparently Jackson. I can't read either, but Jackson Blake, yep. um, Ford, American, what do you yep. got? So his whole game is smart, super competitive. He's obviously got the hockey pedigree with a dad that played in the NHL. Um, he needs to physically develop. That's the, the biggest knock on him at this point. Um, he's in a really competitive team in the USHL being the Chicago Steel. So he's definitely going to have to earn his his role and his time for development. So he's a guy that you like to take that risk because it's in it's in the family. He knows what it takes to be an NHL or he's he's been raised to know what it takes. So you like to take a chance on a guy like that, that, you know, is going to work. Yeah. Maybe, maybe to a lesser degree, obviously he was taking the fourth, but it, it's reminiscent of uh, Jack Drury and, and yep. you draft guys with pedigree. They, they grew up in it and around it. And so they just understand and yep. what it takes. And from a family perspective, the investment, all, all those things where I think it would be easy to overlook it because there, there's so many tremendous athletes across the spectrum of sports that, you know, don't have family pedigree, but I think when it does show up, it's significant. And so he's a young man that, although only a fourth rounder, definitely a, a name to, to keep your eye yeah. on because those guys just seem to get it. Yeah. And he's a guy that will be willing to find his niche in the NHL as well. He's not a guy that's going to, I'm making this presumption, but based on what I've read about him, he doesn't seem to be the guy that's going to say, no, nah, if I'm not getting second line opportunity, like I'm out. Like, He's going to earn his role and he's going to put his head down and already heard his, his dad say, I believe that he was super excited for him to potentially have the opportunity to be coached by Rob Brendamore and things like that. Well, that his matter. dad gets 
how yeah. significant that could be. Oh, um, absolutely. Okay, into the fifth round, Robert Orr. Not Bobby Orr. Any relation? No relation. Oh my, that would be something. Right? It, now, it? If I, I wish I would have read that Bobby Orr, and then yep. he could have played. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so he's a forward guy, super skilled player. Um, there is a ton of disagreement on his actual foot speed. Um, some people think it's an asset to his game, and then some people think he needs to work on it. Darren York uh, from the Hurricanes organization seems to think that his foot speed is an asset. So I read a lot about him, and it, it so it seems to be a mixed bag. That's somebody that we'll just have to watch and see develop and hopefully get a chance to see in training camp. Well, if the foot speed is there, that puts him on an entirely different, you know, prospect trajectory because he has all the the skill and ability but um yeah something to monitor and you know when you get this late in the draft you're almost looking at what is almost one trait that a prospect can hang their hat on that can be a differentiator for for them because if the rest fills out well then you have an elite trait already it's building on a strength and you know I, i can speak to my time as being a very low level prospect like you're always talking, you know, diversify your game, you know, be able to hit the ball the other way and you want to be good on defense and all those things are important. But the further I got along in my career, it was like, Hey, you're, you're a power hitter. Forget about, you know, slapping the ball the other way, hit homers. And it was like, Oh my gosh, like build on a strength. And that makes so much sense because you're never going to get probably the other parts of your game, you know, to where they need to be or being an above average trait. So your elite trait needs to be exactly that because it becomes your calling card. So yeah. I get that. And, you know, although we're not putting a ton of stock in, in maybe any of these guys, compared to, you know, their peer teams, Kane's got a lot of talent four through seventh rounds. I mean, that yeah. is, it's just different. And when you read a, a, a prospect overview of a, of a draft hall, very few of, of the analysis, of the analysts that they do the, the analysis, talk about the guys drafted late and it seems to be every year they talk about the guys that the Canes yep. take late that that's awesome because it's just showing the organization has a plan and uh, although we haven't you know the plan this offseason hasn't resonated with us there's clearly one when they draft because yep. they're really good at it yeah they definitely are next pick in the fifth round being another pedigree guy and Justin Robida so another forward just like Robert Orr out of the QMJHL. Um, Robida is a smaller, a smaller player, but he's known for his speed and compete, and he's got that hockey pedigree. He has offensive upside, uh, but needs to work on his two-way game. So he's a fast guy, knows how to create offense, needs to be better on the defensive end. Uh, his father had an NHL career, so it's another guy that you hope understands what it takes to succeed and you know you you don't hate taking chances on guys like that in the fifth round and heading into the sixth Bryce Montgomery another defenseman what he got on him this one was a little off the board from what I read um he's a big right shot defenseman who hasn't shown too much to date and you're really just taking a chance on him developing over time. Um, he had a very limited sample size going into this season. Either the Canes saw something they liked in that limited sample size or they purely went off 
the fact that he's a big right shot defenseman that had glimpses of skill, whatever it may be that they were looking for. So he was a little off the board, but they must think that there's something there that's worth the risk in the sixth round. Well, I mean, the truth of the matter is, what's the opportunity cost in a six-rounder? So yeah. swing the bat on your guy. If he hits, great. If not, you've, you've essentially lost nothing. Um, the Carolina Hurricanes' second six-round pick, another goalie. I'm not even going to try to say this name. You got it. <laughs> uh, Nikita, is it, are we going to say Cap? Cap, but it's both a Q. Yeah, we're just going to call him No Cap. Sorry, I didn't brush Nikita, up my German before I came over tonight. Uh, Nikita No Cap. Is a goalie uh, <laughs> from Germany, as Jordan alluded to. Another large goalie. Um, he's shown flashes of high upside, um, but he's got a lot of development to do. He's a project goalie. Same scenario. Kind of guys, guy. yeah, kind of yep. guys you take late though, because they have a physical trait, and for him, it's yep. size. Yep. And it's weird that in a few years, you know, four or five years, you'll totally have forgotten the name. And then he's starting meaningful games for the Canes or some other organization. You'll go, this guy was a six round pick. It's amazing how many of those guys, especially at goalie, exist in the league. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, who was it? National Predators goalie. Saros. No, no, no. Well, uh, Pekka. Pekka, Pekka was Rene a super late pick. was a super late pick. And look at what that turned out to be. A I think that worked out all right for them. Yeah, yeah. It worked out great. So. You never know. I, I wouldn't mind if that happened. I mean, the Canes need it. We've oh. talked about it. Having having a high-ranking goalie and, and is a difference maker. People have liked the guys they've taken. I, I know they took the young man in the, the second a few years ago, and it's developing nicely. It's just they don't have that, like, gold star goalie no. prospect. And, and the four depth in the prospect pool is incredible. I, I think we feel better about the defensive depth after this draft haul. But it, the glaring need, I mean, for really since Cam Ward came up ha, has been there's no elite goalie prospect. Analytically, that probably makes sense. It's not a position you would you know heavily invest in. Mm -hmm. But they believe if you continue taking you know, opportunities to draft these project guys late, that eventually you'll land your Pecorine. I, I think it's mostly been fool's gold. But unlike uh, to know, you know, to avoid being redundant or at the risk of being redundant. Um, this is the one area that I trust the organization in more than any other. And it's the yep. draft. I mean, it, it works. It's yep. clear. It works. They, they draft, they develop. Um, so I, there, there's no critique on my end. Yep. Heading into the last and final round, the seventh, mm -hmm. got three names that I'm also not going to try to say. Yep. Rooting for you. Yeah, man. All right. So pick 200, Igor Namov. He's a goalie out of the MHL in Russia. This was 100% a reach pick just based off pure athleticism. Like you mentioned, he has great athleticism, and that's something that you take a chance on in the seventh round. So that's, that's that pick. Uh, pick 209, another pick out of... Russia, this one being from the KHLs, Nikila Guslistov. He's a forward. He's a guy going forward that maybe is fourth-line potential AHL guy. That's kind of how he projects. Um, we'll see. We'll see if we see him in the future as a cane or not. And then the last pick being 219 out of the SHL in Sweden, defenseman Joel Nystrom. He's a two-way defenseman, not much other information on that guy we'll see 
We'll see what happens. We have yeah, a lot of I, to, a lot to of me, and I, I know we just threw a ton of names at you guys, but it really seems like at least the first eleven guys uh, up until the last two at least have a single trait yep. that makes you think, "Wow, if this clicks, you could be you know a commodity for the NHL club or or, or trade bait or something." It's all about upside. They they attack yep. their board and they they go after the guys that they want. Um, yep. I, I'm really excited about it. I've been super excited about the past couple drafts. They understand how to build here. And uh, any final thoughts from you? Yeah, like you mentioned, they've, they've obviously shown the strategy is to draft high upside. They're not worried about slumps. They're not worried about maybe needing mature a little bit. They're willing to take the risk that you're either A, going to, break out of your slump and shoot through your ceiling or you're going to mature or whatever it may be, or, oh, well, we move on to the next guy that we drafted just yeah, like it, you. It's almost like the organization realizes you're not a finished product at 17, 18 years old, exactly. and they're going to invest resources into getting you, you know, the best opportunity to hit that peak. Yep. Um, yeah. Couldn't be more thrilled. Uh, loved reading uh, all the, the positive buzz afterwards, even without a first round pick. So, Great stuff. I'm glad we finally had an opportunity to, to dive deep into the 2021 NHL draft. And, and I think the natural uh, progression from that is, is to talk about a couple of these guys and other prospects that will be participating in the upcoming prospects tournament uh, hosted in by the Tampa Bay Lightning in Florida. It's actually going to be at the Advent Health Center, Center Ice in Wesley Chapel, Florida, September 18th through the 21st. Anything going on that weekend for you? You're gonna mm. be down there. Let me check my calendar. Hold on. Think, think. Uh, your significant other would be okay with you uh, missing your wedding. I have. Uh, oh, I have a wedding. Ah, uh, you're getting. That's yeah. right, Delaney. You're getting yeah. married. Yeah, I don't think uh, the podcast is gonna make it down to Florida for the prospect tournament this year. I think we're gonna be a little busy. Um, but Mike, any of these uh, recent draft picks gonna be participating for the Canes prospect team down in Florida? Yeah. So. In goal, Hammerla, Patrick Hammerla is going to be there. Um, he'll be joined by Beck Warm and E2 McIniemi. So three goalies that, you know, are younger guys that will be excited to see play. They should do really well. Outside of that, from this year's draft, Bryce Montgomery will be there. Uh, Robert Orr, uh, Joe, Justin Robida. And that's it from the 2021 draft. That's, that's pretty draft. good to go ahead and throw four of your most recent draft picks in there. Yeah, um, that's for sure. actually a higher number than I originally anticipated. But I think the real story is not so much those guys. It's the heavy hitters of the Canes prospect yep. pool. Um, starting off with Seth Jarvis. Yeah, Seth Jarvis will be there. I'm really curious to see what next season holds for him. Um, he's obviously the number one prospect in the Canes. Prospect pool, there's no arguing that. Um, he seems to be a step ahead of everybody in that regard. I think he should dominate this tournament. If he doesn't, that, that draws into question if he has any chance to make the opening. Yeah, you know, he's going to need to dominate here, and he's going to need to dominate at training camp, and he's going to have to force his way. In a perfect world, even if he does all that, I don't think you would want him, they don't don't want want him. to yeah. make your team because – I think we both still want them to bring in another top six forward. Yep. Um, it becomes less likely every day, or does it become more likely? I don't know. There's no telling with this organization sometimes. 
I think what we're most waiting for is the announcement of the Sveshnikov deal, which uh, whenever that happens, we will be very pleased. Um, No panic yet. I I think as long as it's taken care of by training camp, no harm, no foul. But outside of Seth Jarvis, uh, who are we looking at? Dominic Bach will be there. Um, we We acquired him in the Justin Falk trade from St. Louis. He played in the AHL and played pretty well um, last season. So Another former first rounder. Yep. yep, a first rounder. He's a guy that I think has a chance to sniff the NHL lineup at some point, whether it's a call-up or whatever it may be. He's a guy that I think has a chance, and he should also be a guy that dominates at this tournament. Joey Keane will be there, who was acquired in the trade with the Rangers for Julian Gauthier. Um, we saw him for a cup of coffee last year. Well, yeah. One game versus yeah. Nashville. And, um, and we'll see. He's He's got a lot of room to improve. Um, yeah, clearly not there yet, but a guy that you can still see it happening one day. Um, big name, Ryan Suzuki, still universally, for the most part, considered your number two prospect. Yep. I know coming had had the weird eye injury and has had some bad luck. Um, what are your thoughts on him right now? He played pretty well in his limited time in the AHL. I think that was good for his development. We will see. He is still regarded as Kane's second best prospect by many. I would probably hold him in that spot as well. I think Jack Drury is starting to make some ground on him. Both of these guys will be playing in the prospects tournament, and I expect Drury and Suzuki and Jarvis and Bach on all these guys, guys that have NHL-ready status in some way to their name, I expect them to be impact players at this tournament. And I think it will be telling to see what they can do against their peers, people their age, people in their status. They should should all perform really well. Yeah, you'd assume at least the top six of this Carolina prospect team should be really good. Very good. Ahead of its peer, you know, the peers there. Um, from Nashville, Florida, and, and Tampa's farm systems. Um, anybody else you want to talk about? I, I'm glad you mentioned Jack Drury. I think he was the natural one because I think he's the last of these guys that has a legitimate shot to make enough noise to maybe crack the lineup, uh, if not opening night, but sometime this year. Anything else you'd like to add on him? We've gone deep on him before. Yeah, we've gone deep on Drury, and it's even a, a guy that management has mentioned when talking about depth in the lineup next year. Um, he's, he's always lived up to the next step. Every time he makes a step up in his career, he performs, he's a gamer. So he's a guy that could crack your lineup. He could crack your lineup from day one. It'll be interesting to see with all the moves the Canes made to secure their bottom six depth, how that impacts it. But yeah, I I think from a, a almost like being ready day one standpoint Drury doesn't have near the ceiling of, of a Jarvis or a Suzuki, but if you made me put a chip down who I think is the guy that has the most likely opportunity to crack the lineup day one, I think it's Drury. I, I think they, they trust him the most and he's older, more mature, has a better two way game. Even like I said, even with less ceiling, but that's kind of what they, they need, you know, a guy yeah. that can kind of fill it in, fill a role and, you know, gives you a little inside outside versatility. 
I, I think they just trust the pedigree and everything he brings to the table, not only on the ice, but from a leadership standpoint as well. He's not going to be overwhelmed by the moment. And that would give you the opportunity to, you know, let Jarvis and, and Suzuki season a little bit more. Yeah. And he's a guy that is a natural center, but you don't have to throw him into the fire right away. Like they did with Ajo. You can start him on the wing, start him on the third or fourth line. And those are going to be dominant lines. They're both, both built, very strongly. Yeah, you right can kind of insulate him a little bit, right? Yep. Like he, he doesn't have to carry a line. He, he's not going to be thrust into a scoring role. Um, can get to the league and feel it out. I mean, Jarvis is definitely the most exciting. I mean, yep. when they threw him into the AHL for that brief stint last year before he had to go back to the minors, it was pure dominance. And yep. he's not going to come to the league and do that, but that just showed you what's there. And it, it immediately made it look like Carolina got a steal in the, the first round sure. just a year ago. Yeah, we're super excited about Jarvis. Another guy that you'll want to keep an eye on at the tournament would be Jamison Reese. He's a guy that kind of fits the Canes model of ultra competitive, big motor. He's got skill, compete. He's not the biggest guy, but he doesn't play his size. And, you know, he's play, he played well in his time in the AHL, and he's a guy that has an outside shot at – being called up, whether it's injury related or just needing a spark in the lineup. So we have guys, more guys than we've had in a while that I think are NHL ready, if not very close NHL ready. Obviously, just because they're NHL ready doesn't mean you automatically throw them into the fire, right? You want to make sure you're doing what's best for their development, make sure they're getting playing time, making sure they're seeing all the situations, whether it's five on five, power play penalty kill you name it um if if there's a better development opportunity in the ahl obviously the canes are going to take it if a guy is ready to play in the nhl i also don't think they're gonna hold him down just for the sake of holding sure. him down so. you know they're not in a position where you're going to see them rush uh, you know a, a ryan murphy to the league you know yeah. that's not going to happen anymore they're not just going to get guys there because they just have a dearth of talent uh in on the nhl roster I don't know. In reading more on on who's gonna to be at you know representing the other teams in this uh, prospect tournament, um, I'm really looking forward to see them go against the Florida team. You're yeah. gonna have Spencer Knight. That will be a true test for this four group. Um, still think the Canes are the more talented team, but he has shown that he can be a legitimate NHL force, even just such a small sample size. So that if I had to circle one of the matchups, I, I think that's the Absolutely. one. Um, and hey, I'm all here for it's it's Southeast hockey and getting those teams together. You know, I'm a fan of uh, bringing the old Southeast division back together, and yep. including Nashville this time. Yeah. But yeah, I think this is awesome. Uh, any other final notes on the prospect tournament before we get out of here? No, um, I'm going to probably have to watch it in some recorded fashion. I'll have to figure out how I can do that. But well, we just hide it under the under the table, yeah. have it on the phones. But um Thank you guys for joining us tonight. I, I think we're all really excited about what we think we have on the docket for the next episode. Uh, looking at having a special uh, Carolina Hurricanes guest, our, our first guest on the the podcast. So please join us for that. We're, we're super pumped for it. And uh, thank you for joining us tonight. Mike, tell them where to find us. You can follow us on Instagram at the Rod the Podcast and on Twitter at the Podcast. 
please make sure to subscribe, follow, like, and rate the podcast on whatever platform you are listening on. We are on, but not limited to, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and YouTube. As always, thanks for listening and don't hesitate to reach out on any platform.